0: Daniel Kruvilevich is a cybersecurity expert and problem solver with 15 plus years of enterprise security experience and a proven track record working with 100 plus enterprises across multiple industries. He has a strong orientation to application and cloud security. Daniel co-founded Cider Security as the company's CTO. Cider is a startup focused on securing CICD pipelines, flows, and systems. Omer Gill is a seasoned application and cloud security expert with over 13 years of experience across multiple security disciplines. He's an experienced researcher and public speaker, and he also discovered the web cache deception attack vector in 2017, and Omer leads research at CIDR Security. Daniel and Omer joined us today to talk about the top 10 CICD security risks initiative. They put together this list of this new top 10. It has all of the things that you need to understand to know what's the risk in your CI CD pipelines. Things like insufficient flow control mechanisms and dependency chain abuse. And so they take us through why they made this list, what was the process for building it, and then what are the things that you're gonna be able to get out of it as a developer, as a security practitioner, as a DevOps person. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with Daniel and Omer.
1: You're about to listen to AppSec Podcast. When you're done with this, be sure to check out our other show, High Five.
0: Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Application Security Podcast. This is Chris Romeo, CEO of Security Journey and co-host of the podcast. I'm also joined today by my good friend, Robert Hurlbut. Hey, Robert.
1: Hey, Chris. Yeah, Robert, uh, you know, Principal Application Security Architect at Acquia and uh, really glad to be here to talk about this topic. This is something I know that uh, we've been thinking about uh, lately in the news uh, with uh, supply chain attacks and all kinds of interesting things going on. So a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it seems to be one of those topics that, uh, is getting a lot of attention right now. And it just happened that, uh, our two guests had, and via their company had posted this new top 10 CICD security risk thing. And as I saw it went by, I was like, wow, that's so cool. I want to, I want to learn more about that. I want to understand what, uh, what this project is about. So we're joined today by Daniel Kruvalevich and Omer Gill. And uh, guys, we want to just jump right in with your security origin stories because that's what our audience likes to te- likes to have an understanding where the people are coming from. So you guys can decide who wants to go first, but tell us how you got into this crazy world of application security.
2: Yeah, I'll let you start. Uh, cool. So uh, I'm uh, I'm the CTO and one of the founders at, at Cider, uh, and my origin start way back in. Uh, in, in the army, uh, in Israel, uh, army service is mandatory, so I served in uh, 8200, which is kind of uh, an equivalent of the uh, the NSA in Israel. Uh, so I uh, got my first exposure to the cyber domain uh, in 8200, spent uh, about six years over there. Uh, and then I jumped back and forth between uh, uh, defensive and uh, more offensive positions between the defenders' perspective and the attackers' perspective. Uh, I did a few years doing uh, penetration testing, uh, which is where I met Omer. And and after that, I led application security with with LivePerson, a big American SaaS company. And I spent about four years with Signia, uh, which is an Israeli company doing incident response. Um, And over there, I led the application and cloud security disciplines. Uh, And my job was primarily to uh, work with organizations on identifying their crown jewels, their critical applications, understanding what they look like from a development and deployment perspective, uh, and then understanding um, how an adversary would be able to abuse those processes and and, and, and apply uh, controls to optimize the posture of these processes uh, and prevent the next incident. Uh, And of course, over there, I got a very... Uh, deep understanding of the challenges that organizations are facing on the CI/CD front, which is one of the primary reasons we set out to build uh, Cyber Security and focus on CI/CD security. And uh, hi, I'm Omar. Um
3: I uh, the same as Daniel. Uh, my background starts uh, from the army. Uh, we served in different units, uh, but we got to know each other uh, later. And uh, when we did a uh, security consulting, penetration testing, uh, tennis and Young, uh, worked there for like four years, um, was a team leader there. Uh, after, afterwards, I moved on to uh, Magiclip Leap, um, to the uh, cloud security team. Uh, been there for nearly four years, uh, managed the cloud security team. Uh, that was my last role uh, there. Uh, cloud security, application security. Uh, this was my main focus uh, in Magiclip. And um, then uh, Jan- Daniel uh, uh, founded uh, uh, CIDR, Cyber Security, which we which he already uh, kind of represented. So um, this is where uh, I joined, um, like in December 20, more than a year ago. I'm leading uh, research at uh, Cyber Security, and my team tries to um, find the, the big next uh, the next big uh, attack vectors uh, and threats in the domain of CICD, uh, which has a uh, high focus today uh, in the security world.
1: Daniel Nomar. Uh, so uh, here's a, a main topic today. Uh, what is the top 10 CICD security risk initiative? Uh, another interesting list that you created out there, but what is it? Um, so uh,
2: we we drew a lot of inspiration with this top 10 CICD risk initiative from other initiatives that We we enjoyed, uh, as defenders in the past, like the OWASP Top 10 uh, and the Serverless Top 10, which was published by PureSec. And uh, going into CIDR, uh, obviously we understood that there's this whole new domain that's becoming more and more popular, both with defenders and with attackers. Uh, I mean, we saw in 2021, or even earlier in 2020, 2020, um, with SolarWinds, with dependency confusion, with the CodeCov hack, with so many other high-magnitude hacks that attackers are gradually shifting focus to CI-CD, and defenders are asking more and more questions about how they can protect uh, CI-CD processes, systems, environments. And I think, traditionally, when, uh, when defenders, when AppSec practitioners uh, were asked what it is that they spend their day-to-day doing, uh, the primary area of focus was the code, was you know implementing scanners uh, that find flaws in the code and, uh, and and you know doing secure design or secure architecture reviews for the applications being built. But then CI/CD, that whole process of getting code from the developer's workstation from the SCM to production, was for a long time. Um, I wouldn't say neglected but outside the scope of what application security practitioners were thinking about and it was also outside the scope of what was considered to be the organization's attack surface uh which for many years made sense uh before ci cd kicked in before you know so many automations replaced manual processes before there was such a thing as infrastructure as code and automated deployments but ci cd is really uh reshaped organization's attack surface has created endless new opportunities for attackers, endless new ways to run malicious code in the CI, to get to production. And, and and so we witnessed even before CIDR, but definitely after we started our journey with CIDR, we witnessed that there are so many unknowns for defenders about what the attack surface looks like, what this new flavor of risks looks like, what are the new questions defenders need to be asking themselves? And what are the new areas that defenders need to shed the spotlight on? Uh, and that led us to, 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 to the understanding that, you know, our, our, our goal as, as a company that's focused on CICD security is not only to build a technology that helps defenders create more secure CICD environments, but also create the knowledge and, and, and you know, help defenders, help the infosec community stir the discussion and spark the discussion about the measures, the controls, the thought patterns that we need to adapt in order to create more secure CICD environments. And, and for us, it was obvious that, you know, this type of artifact uh, is something that we have to create to, to, you know, to bring our knowledge forward and to stir that discussion. The format of top 10 uh, is one that we chose simply because it already exists Uh, It already makes sense to people, it's something that, you know, is precedented, uh, just not in the domain of CI, CD. So that's pretty much um, the reason why we chose to do this.
1: And curious, I know we're going to be talking a little bit about how you arrived at the 10, but, uh, you know, you just mentioned about, for example, the OWASP top 10, that's changed in the order over the years. is there a particular order uh, of severity for this list or, or just really put it together and, and uh, these are the things we saw?
3: Yeah, so the top 10 risks, as, as we eventually um, set the order of them, uh, they are set by, by their impact. Uh, eventually, okay. we believe that the first one posed um, the, the biggest uh, impact on most organizations. Uh, because the consequences of um, explaining these kind of vulnerabilities and flaws um, pose a great impact uh, to this kind of environment organization, and uh, the probability that it's going to happen uh, is higher than other risks in the list um, so yeah uh, we we think that like the first one is, is the most uh, impactful um, and we also know that there are uh, other uh, risks besides the top ten, but we know that um, this world of ci security is so premature at the moment in most organizations that you need to start from from somewhere. This is why we get at the top ten list, uh, something that everyone uh, can can focus on and, and start start protecting the, the environments from 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 this uh, from this spot.
0: So if I'm a developer, so we have some people in our audience that are new to application security. They're developers. Maybe they just got out of college, or maybe even if I'm a, a seasoned application security person, what's the value proposition for me in checking out this document? Like, what am I? What am I going to take away? What am I going to get from it? Uh, and what's what's the value to me to to examine this document and and learn and and absorb all that information?
2: Um, so it's a good question. I think it's interesting that you pointed out um, uh, developers as, as the audience because you know that was our intent as well. Intuitively, the target audience is security practitioners because they are the ones that need to focus on security risks. But I think you know with with shift left and and and, and with the whole um, shift in mindset of the relationship between security and engineering teams, a lot of the responsibilities and the ownership of of you know securing uh engineering processes uh is, is now with with developers with devops and, and, and so you know i'm glad that you pointed it out because our target audience is both security and engineers and uh and i think as far as you know the the insights that engineers uh could have around this document are first of all understanding that CI/CD the systems that they're working with uh, the code that they're shipping to production has a significant uh, importance or weight uh, in an organization's attack surface. So, engineers and DevOps practitioners have a, a, a big responsibility in making sure that they're equipped with the right knowledge, the right tools, the right capabilities, the right relationships with security uh, to make sure that you know they have their appropriate security guardrails and that they're not making mistakes and that they're not um, taking uh, measures that might have the potential to increase the attack surface. Um, now, as far as the actual measures that they need to take, I think, you know, this, this document is, is a very good resource in helping them get acquainted with how the same building blocks that they work with on a day-to-day basis, the SCM repo or the CI pipeline or the package in npm, or you know, it's it's it, it, it's those building blocks that they know and use on a day-to-day basis, but didn't think of the security aspect of using them. They now understand what it is I need to think about when I define CI pipelines, when I configure permissions on a repo, when I configure my uh, package manager client, my npm client, to work with npm. Uh, and, and, and the more they get acquainted with, with, with the mindset, with the security building blocks, the better they're going to be eventually in, 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 you know, in, in instilling security as part of their day-to-day. So I think it's not just about the actual technical bullets in the document. Uh, it's more about reading through the document and, and, and kind of getting a better understanding of the attacker's perspective and, and kind of sorting in their heads those building blocks that will allow them to think about security uh, in a more effective manner.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and you so you mentioned uh, SolarWinds, Codecov in in the context of CI/CD systems, and so I'm curious with with both of you coming from a pen testing kind of breaking background, why do you think that? the attacker's mindset has switched towards engineering systems, you know, from, you know, I'm from the the early days of security in the 90s when you could get into a Windows domain in like five minutes, like anybody could. They just download a script and like, oh, look, I'm the domain admin. Great. Like, but, but what's the, what's the world, like what's changed in the world to make attackers focusing on these engineering systems?
2: This is one of our favorite questions. Go ahead
3: and actually you um you just mentioned uh, one of our favorite uh, examples uh that uh, mainly daniel uh, likes to uh, to mention um yeah we we believe that um, today um similar to what you just said um, that CACD today is like active directory uh as it was ten years ago um as you said like um around ten years ago an attacker that uh, got access to a domain user, and it could be any domain user, not necessarily uh, domain admin. He could reach, uh, he could uh, take over the domain, uh, obtain access to a domain admin account, probably in a few minutes or hours. Uh, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen today in retim assessments or in actual breaches, it still happens. But today, um, this whole domain got... Uh, a lot, uh, much, much it's, it's much more, more mature sorry, that, that it was a few years ago, uh, both from the vendor side, also from the perspective of, of um, the um, some um, application security vendors, uh, sorry, um, uh, security vendors in general that try to protect against these kind of threats. And today for attackers, it's much harder uh, to um, uh, gain access to, um uh, to uh, to control the domain or uh to, to gain access to other sensitive uh, assets uh, in the network uh because also defenders have has a lot more uh tools and knowledge to protect against these kind of threats and um when this uh when this uh, trend is, um when when we see this trend uh, happening uh attackers need to find their path Uh, to sensitive assets and to production where uh, the data is, where where eventually the money is. Um, And they see that it's easier to get there uh, today comparing to to, to older methods like um, um, attacking or targeting uh, domain environments. Uh, So we think that uh, today attackers know that if they uh, get access to to, uh, to an SEM user account, or access token, or SSH key, or um, or um, compromise and, uh, an NPM package. They can easily get to production in a matter of seconds or, or minutes if they know what they're doing. And what's even more important is that defenders don't know how to identify these kind of attacks, uh, don't have the tools or methodologies. Um, so it's not just that it's easier to carry out for attackers. Um, it's it's also uh, reasonable uh, to think that the defenders won't even know that the attack occurs at real time, or even uh, when they try to
2: figure it out uh, after it happened. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I think I think what's what's not changed, uh, and, and what probably will never change is that attackers always choose the path of least resistance. And and like you said, for many years, the path of least resistance was to gain a workstation in the domain or a user in the domain, find the group's XML file and, and, you know, become local admin on every single workstation in the domain, including the domain controller within minutes. Uh, But, you know, that's not the path of least resistance anymore. And it hasn't been so for a while. Uh, Defenders have a wide array of products and methodologies to Detect, prevent, hunt down these types of scenarios, and uh, and what we've witnessed is that you know even the most mature organizations with a sim and a sock and a threat hunting team and, and and you know the organizations that are extremely proactive in building their cybersecurity posture and finding the most sophisticated attack vectors, when it comes to simple and trivial tasks like shipping logs from the CI system to the sim. Uh, or, or, or looking for potentially malicious uh, deployments to production, there's nothing there. There are giant blind spots, and, and, yeah. and I think what's also unique to the context of CI/CD is that the amount of opportunities for attackers over time is 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 growing exponentially with you know with infrastructure as code and GitOps and all the automations, and the ratio between how fast the uh, domain of opportunities for attackers is growing versus how quickly defenders are adapting is, is you know, it's not linear. And, uh, yeah. you know, think about something like dependency confusion. Dependency confusion allowed, you know, white hats, but also probably hackers for a long time to run malicious code, run malware on millions of CI environments without even having any sort of access to the environment with nothing, simply by uploading a malicious package to a public package repository, and then that's it. Millions of CI systems are running malware. Uh, And and, and so the ease of um, exploitability of some of these vectors uh, versus how well um, defenders are, are, are equipped uh, to 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 know about to identify, to prevent these types of vectors is really what's shifting the focus of attackers uh, to, to CD because there's so many opportunities over there uh, and, and and so little uh, or, or or you know a relatively low level of maturity with most defenders.
0: yeah, I think um when i when I consider the state of our industry right now, I would say, to your point, you know, SIMs and socks and all those things like InfoSec has a has reached a certain level of maturity organizationally from a CISO down to the response and and all of the pieces that go in threat hunting, the things you mentioned. I, I see the same thing currently in our industry where app sec, things that are AppSec and product security focused are very immature across, you know, even the largest of enterprises because you'd think, oh, yeah, this gigantic enterprise, they probably have this figured out. No, I don't think anybody. I'm sure there are some outliers somewhere that have a really good handle on this and are getting a better handle. But I just think there's a lack of maturity right now on more of the AppSec side, and there's there's a giant opportunity to yeah. you know to to provide improvements into that space.
2: Yeah, I, I also think. I mean, it sounds it, it, it sounds negative, or you know, it sounds what we're, we're saying sounds like you know the the AppSec domain or the defenders that are part of the AppSec domain are are you know are far behind but i think it's just this is the evolution of infosec i mean this is exactly where people that were responsible for protecting cloud environments or active directory environments were 10 15 years ago they were far behind the attackers fine behind far behind the opportunities for attackers and then over time they they closed the gap and this is exactly what's going to happen with cicd security this is this is part of our motivation to as I said, not only build the technology, but build the knowledge that will empower other groups to build strong technologies and controls. And, uh, you know, over time, we'll, we'll close that gap. But, you know, attackers are always a little bit uh, in front of defenders.
0: Yeah, your uh, your least path of resistance comment just makes me smile because, you know, I've probably said that a 100 times. Like, you know, especially when you're talking to to people that maybe aren't as familiar with security, it's like, hey, listen, so attackers don't work like in the movies or on TV. Like, they don't go find the most eloquent way to break into a system. They just brute force it. If they find an easy thing, they're like, woohoo, victory, I'm in. Like, it's not like, ah, they're, you know, pouring over their terminal until, you know, Twenty-four hours later, they find the eloquent hack. They could have taken the easy one, but they went with the more, you know, the more detailed thing. It's not the real world, right? It's least path of resistance. When there's a door, they go through it. And you know, a maturing in the CICD space, which y'all are helping to solve that problem, a maturing in that space is going to result in the least path of resistance is going to move somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And uh, who knows where it'll land next? But uh, I don't even want to try to predict that.
1: So uh, let's uh, dive into the top 10. What was the process for selecting these? Uh, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, in terms of severity and so forth, but, but how did you arrive at these particular 10?
3: So um, the, when we initiated the process, uh, we, we had uh, more than a few risks in mind that we knew that should be uh, part of the top 10 or at least to be candidates to be included in the final top 10 list. Uh, but we wanted to do a comprehensive job finding them and consulting with as many experts as we can uh, to eventually set up the uh, best list that represents the actual biggest risks uh, in this domain. Uh, we started with uh, brainstorming, uh, Daniel and myself, uh, brainstorming on the, uh, all of the public hacks, all of the hacks that went public in the recent uh, few years. Many of them uh, happened in uh, in 2020 and uh, 2021, uh, but there were some CICD hacks that went public uh, even before that. Um, uh, there are more, more than a few. I mean, um, I think it was uh, dozens or even hundreds of, of public attacks, and I'm sure that there are a lot of attacks that never went public, but we, we read each one, uh, analyzed them and started uh, categorizing them uh, to, to the different risks that we believe led uh, to, to, um, to these attacks to, to occur. Um, afterwards, we, we saw, after we analyzed all of these attacks um, and also added our own risk from our own experience working with environments of, of customers, uh, from our experience, uh, we, we had a big list of risks um, that we saw which, were, which one uh, were more popular in the biggest, uh, in the high, in the more high-impact attacks, and which one uh, were, were less uh, impactful. Uh, and this is the, the place where we gathered the first, um, the first draft of the, of the top 10 list, uh, started, started writing it down. Um, but then, you know, we, we did, a, I think, a comprehensive work, but we wanted to, to consult with security experts uh, this is where we started uh, approaching um, people uh, from around the world, from uh, CISOs of uh, huge companies uh, with lots of experience, uh, from from um, from from their roles, and also uh, engineers, uh, security engineers and DevOps engineers uh, that we believe that uh, we can um, that, that, um, uh, that that we definitely should uh, should consult with. Um, and eventually we had, I think, um, f- around 15 uh, people um, that wanted to join our reviewers list. Um, you want to mention some of these uh, reviewers? Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we, and, uh, we were fortunate enough to, to collaborate with, um, with some of the world's top experts on application security. We worked with the CISO of Atlassian, uh, with the person that leads application security at Netflix, uh, CISO of Lemonade, CISO of Relativity, uh, there's a long list. You can find in the top ten, but I think the uh, the general sentiment or notion behind all of this is that we wanted to make sure that if we're making this big contribution to the InfoSec community, uh, obviously we have we have a wide perspective and, and gained a lot of experience over the years, but we wanted to make sure that you know it is as relevant. Uh, as possible to as many different contexts as possible and this is why we were extra diligent in first of all identifying uh, and and reading and seeping through uh, as many uh, anatomies of, uh, of public uh, hacks that were exposed um, and, and you know you can see all the references and links in our document but you know we analyzed these hacks uh, one by one understanding what went wrong? Uh, what capabilities the attackers had? What capabilities the defenders had? Um, and, and and then of course had those discussions with the application security um, leaders, the CISOs, around the concerns that they were facing around what they had experienced uh, from their own personal experience. And 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 and, and obviously uh, we also incorporated the uh, dozens or hundreds of environments that we analyzed. Uh, as part of our tenure uh, at CIDR. Uh, again, we're fortunate to, to work with very, uh, um, with very collaborative organizations that you know, we help secure their, their CI CD environments. And, and, and we talk a lot about the architecture, the design of the environments, the type of challenges defenders are facing, the type of incidents that these companies had had. Uh, and when we put all this together, we had a very, very large data set. Uh, that we analyzed for a long, long time, which ended up compiling uh, those top ten, uh, those top ten risks, and 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 it took us a while to get to a point where you know we're in consensus because putting together I think it's seventeen different opinions uh, is 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 not trivial, but we we you know we all realize that it's worth the effort uh, because the final result is going to be very uh, you know. Reliant on a very, very wide data set and, and, and is going to be relevant to a very, very wide um, portfolio of organization types and levels of maturity. Uh, so I think, yeah, that, that that was the process in a nutshell. And, and yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: Robert and I are familiar with that as well. From uh, We worked on a project called the Threat Modeling Manifesto where we got together a bunch of experts and uh, debated, discussed... <laughs> Had a lot of fun uh, working together to build a collaborative product that we were, we ended up, we got to the end and we were all proud of it. And we all were like, we'll we'll, we'll put our name on it. But certainly understand that's a, a, it's a, it's a interesting and fun challenge to try to put that together with a group of people who come from different backgrounds and perspectives. But at the end of the day, if you can pull it off and you guys have, you end up with a list that. You know, nobody can go and look at that and say, ah, oh, that doesn't have, there's no real, those people didn't know anything about the real world. Well, yeah. that list of people you have, they're running the the real world internet <laughs> right now, dealing with the threats that a lot of people and companies don't even really know the scale scale and scope of what they deal with there. So um, I want to dive into uh, talking about a couple of these since we've kind of set the stage about, you know, where the project came from and, and how it all came together, um, But what I want to do is have an opportunity to talk about the first one on the list, insufficient flow control mechanisms. Um, Let's go ahead and start there. Let's just give us a high level view about what this particular item is. And then for me, I'm always curious about the mitigations. (laughs) That's always where I land. Like once I understand it, I'm like, all right, now what do I got to do to fix it or, or get away from it? So let's start there with the first one on the list.
3: Okay, so um, the, the first uh, risk on the list is insecure uh, flow control mechanisms. Uh, insufficient, sorry, uh, flow control mechanisms. Uh, and it's around the ability of an attacker that uh, has got, got control or obtained control over one of the uh, systems involved in a CI/CD environment, could be the source control management system uh, or the CI, um, the ability to ship code or artifacts uh, to production without any uh, control or review uh, that, um, that, that uh, stands in its way um, towards production. Uh, obviously, with the purpose of shipping malicious uh, code and artifacts, uh, obviously. Um, the, the, the point of CACD is eventually to uh, automate the process of shipping code and artifacts to production. Um, when you write code that you want to uh, that you want to run in production, when you push it uh, to your uh, to your repository uh, to like a feature branch, it usually goes through um, a set of, of tests, could be security tests and unit tests and integration tests, and reviews by other developers um, and, and the build process of, of this code. Uh, there are more than a few stations on the way until. Uh, it, the code eventually reaches its destination, and it's all automated between different systems and pieces of code. Um, and attackers can take advantage of it uh, and ship their own malicious code to production once they obtain uh, their access into the environment. Um, we can talk about um, several uh, like uh, opportunities uh, for for an attacker uh, for attackers in, in this case. Uh, let's say that attackers uh, obtain access to to an access token of, of a repository um, for an application uh, that hosts application code that eventually runs uh, in kubernetes uh, in a kubernetes pod or uh, as a lambda function or, or whatever in in the cloud um, then you can add your own code and if it's automatically deployed to production without any review or, or scanning on the way um, then an attacker would be able to, to act the same as a developer and ship code directly to production. Um, this is something that obviously you want you would want to prevent so from, from the one hand yeah you want to, to give the uh, to provide the freedom to developers uh, to be able to uh, ship code fast to production this is the whole purpose of CACD. that that's that's correct and you eventually you don't want to prevent developers from working fast uh, but still, um, you need. We all need to understand the impact of a case where uh, an attacker obtains access access to one of the hundreds or, or thousands developers in the company, uh, and he could, uh, a developer can have is uh, I mean, an attacker can obtain access to to their uh, username and password, or access token, or SSH key, or um, compromise the GitHub app used in the, organi- in the GitHub organization. Uh, So, once the attacker obtains just one authentication method to a repository, he can use it to, if if he's able to use it to ship malicious code straight to production, that's probably something you want to prevent. Um, And we, we can talk about some mitigations for this. I mean...
0: You know, yeah, let's talk about let's let's get into the mitigations now because i I feel like I have a, a better understanding now about insufficient flow control mechanisms and you know the the almost a, it's almost a generic category where a lot of different things, a lot of different components in the architecture could fit into it. It all comes down to the attacker being able to put some type of malicious code and drop it somewhere. Through the CI/CD pipeline and in somewhere in production where they can get to it. So, yeah, I guess uh, what do we do? How do we how do we uh, say help ourselves to uh, to not have this particular issue?
2: I think uh, just I mean before the actual tactical measures, I think, uh, and this goes back to your point about you know what type of things developers need to think about when they're reading the document. I think one of the special things about the mindset that we've adopted at, at Cider and 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 you know just general, the place where the industry is going as far as CI/CD security is that we're adopted, we're adopting the understanding that the source control system, the CI systems, the systems that were perceived uh, for many years as outside the scope of what security teams need to be concerned about, they are now the path to production. uh, And they are now the best avenue for attackers to get to production. And we need to consider... For example, GitHub or any other source control uh, system, they are for many years now no longer a version control system that you know is is just a system where developers collaborate together on code with versions and, and so on and so forth. No, it's a gateway to a series of automations that ends up in an artifact being deployed to production. This is the front door to production. And once you begin understanding that the source control system, or definitely the system that does the deployment to production, is a system that contains the credentials that are ultimately used for deployment to production, so credentials that allow accessing production, we need to treat them in the same way that we treat any other system that stores credential to production. We need to treat them like we treat the domain controller, or the way we treat the, the Vault, the CyberArk, or whatever pim-pam solution we're using. And... And, you know, once we adopt that mindset, once we understand that our GitHub or whatever source control system we're using or our CI systems are systems that we need to be as diligent around security as we are with, as I said, the domain control or any other crown jewel, then there are a lot of measures that we need to be proactive in understanding how to implement around how to secure a repo, how to prevent Um, you know, how to prevent a reality where one single set of permissions, one push to a repo is sufficient to ship malware to production. Because then that's the same as, you know, as one set of domain uh, permissions, one low privileged domain user being one uh, event away from being a domain admin. It's very similar. So that mindset, once you adopt it, then actually implementing the measures. Once you're comfortable with taking those measures and taking those strides to protect these systems, the settings, the configurations, they're available. Uh, the shift in mindset is, is I think, what's what what organizations find uh, the most challenging. But let's uh, yeah, let's talk about the actual tactical. Measures. So be-
0: before we, yeah, before we get to mitigations, I just want to share you, you what you just said, something just dawned on me that I can't believe I didn't have this thought before. but all of those years of us saying, oh, that's just internal. This is a system that's just internal. like' it's, it's never going to be on the internet. It's never we, we, we can have a different standard of security for those things that we only keep on the inside of the network versus those things that are on the outside. And it sounds like what you're saying now is in, we're in a CI/CD world where those things aren't on the inside anymore. And so they can't, you know, there is no physical isolation anymore between those things. They're engaged in various Internet components and whatnot. And so that's that's to your mindset point. I that's it just dawned on me there. I was like, I just yeah. had a moment. I was like, wow, I didn't I hadn't thought of it like that. But that's that's the reality of the world we live in. So let's talk mitigations now. How do we solve this this first challenge?
3: So there are many uh, different measures that you can uh, take to prevent against um, a direct push of malicious code or artifacts to production. Uh, One common practice is uh, simply branch protection rules, for example, in the uh, source control management system side. Um, Something that we see that nearly any organization uh, implements, uh, at least in the most important repositories and branches that are eventually used in production. Uh, branch protection rules preventing uh, engineers from directly pushing code to sensitive branches that are then used in production. Um, For example, you have a repository with the main branch. Uh, When you push code to the main branch, there is a pipeline being triggered, uh, building, testing the code, then shipping it uh, to production. Um, Usually, uh, most uh, most engineers or all engineers can directly push uh, code to this sensitive branch. But they have to push code to a feature branch and then create a pull request, uh, um, get approvals uh, from from uh, doing the peer reviews, and only then uh, they are able to um, introduce and merge the code uh, to the main branch. Will ship it, which will ship it to production. Um, I think that this common practice, which is eventually a, a manual review, not necessarily. There are some other practices there. You can also uh, add uh, security scans in this uh, phase of of creating a pull request um, but it's phase of manual review when people on your team uh, review the code that you introduce. this um, this gives a, ha- a hard time for attackers uh, introducing their code that will eventually uh, will be pushed um, through automation uh, to production so making sure that any branch that eventually is eventually shipped uh, to production is protected and you have to, to receive at least one review from your peers uh, in order to merge it, uh, that's a common practice that uh, many organizations use um, but of course you need to make sure that uh, you have this practice in place on all of your sensitive branches in all of your sensitive repositories in your organi- in your organization And this could be a challenging task when you have thousands of Repositories or, or and hundreds or thousands of pipelines uh, in a medium-sized organization, uh, it could be uh, hard to to achieve. Uh, but that that's that's a common practice today. Another example, a quick example, is that um, let's say that you protected your sensitive branches uh, and you have security scanning, um, and when the pipeline is triggered. Um, Let's say that it builds a container image and stores it in a container registry. Uh, Then this image is uh, fetched and deployed to production by a deployment pipeline. Um, You you can say, OK, there there are reviews and scans in place to make sure that this image was reviewed and there are no vulnerabilities inside uh, when this image was stored on the container registry. But what happens if um, some user that the attacker obtained access to has direct access to this container registry and the attacker can uh, directly store a malicious image there that will be then fetched by the deployment pipeline uh, and uh, deployed to production. In this case, this whole pipeline and the protection there are became, become worthless because an attacker can just bypass the pipeline restrictions and uh, put a malicious and create a malicious artifact in the registry which will be deployed by another pipeline later on. Um, so you need to think of all of the moving parts in the pipeline from code to production. Uh, it's not just the first phase of triggering the pipeline or the connection between the repository and the NCI. And the there are many moving parts, uh, and it looks different in any organization. Uh, so it's, it's challenging for an attacker to map all these different attacks and understand uh, how it looks like in, in the organization, um, but it's possible. And this risk, uh, the insufficient mechanism mechanisms risk, um, details um, uh, various types of attacks um, that needs to be considered.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a an argument for threat modeling the <laughs> threat modeling the CI/CD pipeline, and and the top ten that you've put together is a great input to people like Robert and I that are threat modeling. Fans to be able to absorb another pitch to for people to go out and examine this document is this is now input for you as you're looking at a CI/CD pipeline to start looking for what are the threats how are we going to mitigate these Um, I'd love to spend literally the rest of my day and go through all ten of these I'm I'm not joking I would love to literally stay here and do an eight hour podcast where we go through all ten of these but I know we don't have time to do that and so I just wanted to we wanted to go through one of these so that our audience gets a feel for what they're going to find when to go there's nine more of these that we haven't even talked about yet so this is this is an advertisement <laughs> for the top 10 CICD because you saw one now you can go absorb the other nine. Um, I really had two more questions I know we're getting towards the end of our time here. I wanted to make sure you got a chance to talk about uh, CICD goat because Daniel at the beginning when we were talking about you know the impact for developers and how that comes together, um, tell us your kind of the philosophy that you have about what CICD Goat's going to do together with this top 10 list to really help developers understand this stuff.
2: Uh, sure. So I think, um, you know, we realized as defenders uh, before CIDR that if you want to be a good defender, you have to adopt um, the attacker's perspective and you have to be uh, familiar with the way uh, attackers think. Uh, otherwise, what you're doing is never going to be relevant uh, to to your risk um, landscape, and, and I think beginning to adopt the attacker's perspective with CI/CD uh, is it, it, you know learning the theory, understanding the the building blocks that comprise um, the way attackers look at CI/CD as an attack surface, and for that, I think the the top ten is a great artifact. If if you don't know the way attackers think and what type of risks uh, attackers are looking to exploit when they look at CICD, then probably reading the top ten will, will be very beneficial in, in, in beginning to think like an attacker, but obviously theory is never enough. Um, you have to you have to practice uh, the tactics and, and and really try to think like an attacker, when you're working these environments, and then fix these environments hands-on to understand what are the measures that organizations um, like what what measures really make a difference. And, and this is precisely why we created the the CICD goat. Uh, the CICD goat is a deliberately vulnerable CICD environment. Uh, it's a full-blown environment uh, that can be run locally on uh, on the machine of anyone. Uh, who who clones the GitHub project uh, with a source control system, uh, a build system, a build agent, uh, and, and kind of a, a full a full a full blown uh, environment um, that uh, that enables um, users to basically uh, deal with ten challenges of varying levels of difficult, of difficulty. Each one represents uh, different types of risks. Within our top ten CI/CD risks, and so once you've gained the theory uh, with the top ten CI/CD risks document, then practicing those risks, trying to think like an attacker, trying to enact these scenarios, and then trying to fix them as the defender, and understanding how the measures I take as a defender are now preventing those same attack vectors that I just uh, enact as an attacker. Is is, is is what we believe something that is going to make uh, a significant leap uh, for defenders, not just security practitioners, but also DevOps, uh, engineers, anyone who's interested in securing engineering environments. Uh, so that's going to make a very significant leap in, in the knowledge and understanding and experience um, these people have with securing CICD environments. Uh, you want to add anything? Um, yeah, I mean uh, the the goat is meant for everyone, uh, not just for
3: hackers or people that like to that like uh, capture the flag challenges. Uh, there are different um, there are different levels of uh, difficulty uh, between easy to, to hard, and there are hints that you can use, um, and it's mainly uh, super fun to uh, to solve. Um, you you can easily like in in two minutes uh, you can run uh, you can um, have the entire setup on your machine. It's all Docker based, um, so it's really really easy to, to start uh, working with it to start working with. And I uh, encourage you all to uh, to try it.
0: Yeah, love it, love it. So um, to I guess the the call to action I'm going to throw back to our audience right now is. You know, you've heard about the top 10 CI CD risks that Daniel Nomer have put together uh, via CIDR. And uh, so go out, check it out, and read it, absorb it. You know, you heard a number of reasons why uh, developers, security practitioners, DevOps, everybody that's involved in this process needs to absorb this information and, and really gain this awareness because we know, as we talked about, least path of resistance right now is the CI/CD pipeline. So Daniel Nomer, thank you for uh, sharing this with the industry and sharing your knowledge with us today. And we look forward to following along with all the other cool things y'all do in the next, uh, next year. Sure. along the way. So thank thanks.
2: You. It was very fun talking with you guys. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. You'll find the show on Twitter at Podcast and on the web at www.securityjourney.com resources podcast. You can also find Chris on Twitter at EdgeRoute and Robert at Robert Hurlbutt.
1: Remember, with Application Security, there are many paths, but only one destination.